Does it seem like the good life is always one, if only away? If only I were thinner, I would have a good life. If only I were taller, I would have a good life. If only I were better looking, I would have a good life. If only I were in a relationship, I'd have a good life. If only this pandemic was over, I could finally start to begin to enjoy life. We've been walking through Philippians chapter 4, where Paul gives us the antidote to anxiety. And these are very anxious times. And even before these times, if we're honest, we all have had moments of anxiety in our lives. And so we're looking at how to stay calm, no matter what life throws at us. And the C is celebrate God's goodness. There's always something to celebrate God for, his mercy and his sovereignty and his nearness in our lives. Even though the world seems chaotic and out of control, we know that God is still good. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the A, ask for help. And so we learned from Paul that we are in every situation with prayer and petition to present our requests to God. One of the antidotes to anxiety, though, is really our attitude. Anxious for nothing, Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 4, begins with a change of attitude, not circumstances. You see, the if-onlys of life, what that means is, I will not be anxious if only my circumstances were different. But Paul reminds us in the midst of these anxiety-laden moments that we can be free from anxiety regardless of our situation. If you remember Paul, when he wrote Philippians, was in prison. He was in chains for preaching the gospel. And in that prison cell, he wrote Philippians. And the theme of Philippians was joy and rejoicing and to have a handle on our anxiety through prayer. And so Paul didn't wait for his circumstances to change. Before he was anxious for nothing, he was able to find this place in his life where he was not anxious for nothing in spite of his circumstances. According to Paul, the good life begins not when our circumstances change, but when our attitudes about our circumstances change. Look what he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. As, As if Paul has to remind us because we need reminding Yes, rejoice in the Lord, but I want to tell you how important it is. I'm going to remind you again that you need to rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Remember this contagious calm that we have that other people can see. The Lord is near. We know that he is a prayer hearing and prayer answering God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so in the middle of this directive for us to pray, are two little words with thanksgiving. Paul says in those anxious moments, yes, we are to pray because God is near, but in that mindset of prayer, we need to also remember with thanksgiving. So sprinkled throughout our prayers of petition and our prayers of supplication, our prayers of asking the Lord, we should also sprinkle through our prayers a sense of gratitude and a sense of thank you Gratitude is this. It's mindful awareness of the benefits of life. It's mindful because we have to consciously think about it. There is so much bad news and there are so many horrible things that go on in this world and we are inundated with that all the time. And so gratitude is a conscious decision of our minds to focus on the benefits of life, the good things that we have. Did you know that studies have linked the emotion of gratitude with a variety of positive aspects in life? Grateful people tend to be more empathetic and forgiving of others. They are more likely to have a positive outlook on life. It's that old classic difference between the optimist and the pessimist. The optimist sees the glass as half full. The pessimist sees it as half empty. 
It's how we view the circumstances in life that determine our attitude in life. The people who have gratitude demonstrate less envy. They demonstrate less materialism. They demonstrate less self-centeredism. If we have a spirit of gratitude, it improves self-esteem. It enhances our relationships. It even gives us a better quality of sleep and a longevity to life. There was a story about Eunice Sanborn. She celebrated her 114th birthday back in July of 2010 at her church. And Eunice said that she not only loves everything about her life, but she also has no complaints. If she had wanted to complain, she would have had many things to complain about that accumulated in a life of 114 years. Yet her life demonstrated that complaining is a choice. If we live to be 114, there'll be lots of things that we can complain about. But Eunice gives us a great example to look at the benefits of life, to look at the blessings of life, because it's not hard to find something to complain about, but it is hard sometimes to find the benefits. And that's what Paul reminds us when he says, with thanksgiving, with an attitude of gratitude, with a sense of thank you for what the Lord has given us. Here's what gratitude does. Gratitude takes us from if only to already. You see, what happens when we live in a life of if only, we are looking for that elusive thing, whatever that thing is. If only I had this thing, then I would be happy. If I only had this thing, then my life would be content. If I only had this thing, then I would have meaning and purpose in my life. I would feel better about life. But here's what gratitude does. Gratitude reaches into the future and it pulls us back into the present so that we can understand that we already have things. We already have blessings. We don't live in the life of if only, we live in the life of already. An anxious person says this, Lord, if only I had this, then I would be okay. But the grateful heart says, Lord, you've already given me this. Thank you very much. If we don't live a life of thanksgiving, if we are not living lives of gratitude, we may have put our finger on the source of our anxiety. People who are not grateful, people who live without a sense of thanksgiving, people with, who live with a sense of, of if only are not very grateful, but they're also very anxious because they are anxiously looking for that thing that will give them what they desire. And so with thanksgiving helps us live in the present to say, Lord, you already have given me so much. I'm not looking for that elusive if only. How much time have we wasted in our lives instead of living in the present moment or we are living in the future in some dreamland of what we want to happen and we are never conscious of what we have today. Max Lucado tells the story of his friend Jerry. He says he's 70 years old and regularly shoots his age on the golf course. 70's pretty good. He says, his dear wife, Ginger, battles Parkinson's disease. What should have been a wonderful season of retirement has been marred by multiple hospital stays, medication, and struggles. Many days she cannot keep her balance. Jerry has to be at her side, yet he never complains. He always has a smile and a joke, and he relentlessly beats me in golf. Max said, I asked Jerry his secret, and here's what he said. Every morning, Ginger and I sit together and sing a hymn. I ask her what she wants to sing, and she always says, count your blessings. And so we sing it. We count our blessings. You see, they knew the difference, Jerry and his wife Ginger, even though she was battling Parkinson's disease, understood that in the early moments when they first wake up, that if they count their blessings, their attitude about their circumstance will be so totally different. And that's the antidote to our anxiety is gratitude. 
Look at your blessings. Take a moment to count your blessings. What do you see? Do you see the friends that you have in your life? Do you see your family that you have in your life? Do you understand the grace of God that you have in your life? That even though we are sinners and we are deserving of death and eternal separation in hell, that because of Jesus Christ, he paid the penalty for our sin and now we can have the hope of eternal life. Do you see that grace in your life each day? Do you see the love of God? Do you see the abilities and the talents and the skills that God has given you? You see, each morning we count our blessings and that instills in us a heart of gratitude and anxiety tends to creep in when we don't count our blessings, but we count the if-onlys. But God has already given us so much. God has given us far more than we deserve. God has given us all the blessings that he has given us right now, here, today. After World War II, two families were standing in line after a church service to greet the pastor, and the church was preparing to build a new building at the time. The first family said, Pastor, as you know, our son was killed in the war. We would like to give $200 as a memorial gift. The second family said, Pastor, we were going to give $200, but our son came home and we'll give $500. They literally counted their blessing, something that could have easily been overlooked. Their definition of contentment is this. Contentment is wanting what you have, not having what you want. You see, gratitude instills in us a sense of contentment. And contentment is wanting what we have, not having what we want. Having what we want is the if-onlys of life, the wants of life. If only I had this, then I will be content. But true biblical contentment is I count my blessings, I look today, and I see what I have today, and then I, I want what I have. All the things in my life that I have right now in this moment as you look at your blessings, your anxiety will start to fade away. Because here's what gratitude is. Gratitude will starve your worry. If I live in the land of if only, I can become worried and I can become anxious. Because what happens if I don't get the if only? What happens if what I want doesn't happen? What happens if the elusive if only that I'm looking forward to to satisfy my life, what happens if that doesn't come true and it creates fear and anxiety and worry? But here's what gratitude does. Gratitude will starve your worry. Here's what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. See what Paul did? Paul said, learning the secret of contentment is not just when we're in need, but also when we have plenty. Sometimes the most discontent people are people who have it all because they're still looking for the elusive more. And Paul says, we need to learn the secret of contentment when we have a lot and we have very little because all of us, is what he's saying, needs to learn the secret of contentment. He said, I know both situations. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Paul said, I had a secret I need to learn in both situations, when I was without and when I had a lot. And there is a secret, and here's the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me, who gives me strength. Remember, Paul was in jail and he was in shackles, and yet he says, I've learned the secret of being content. He doesn't say, I've learned the principle or I've learned the formula, but what he says is, I've learned 
the secret. A secret is a bit of knowledge that's not commonly known. It's almost as if Paul is writing this and he looks around and he leans in and he says, do you want to know a secret? I found the secret to being content. You want to know what it is? It's Jesus. That's it. I've learned the secret to being content. What is your happiness depend on? What does your contentment depend on? Does it depend on what you drive or what kind of car you drive? Does it depend on what you wear, the latest styles, the latest fashion? Does it depend on what you deposit in the bank or how large your bank account is? If so, if our contentment relies on the material things of life and the possessions that we have, we have entered the rat race of materialism. And the reason it's a rat race is because nobody ever wins. They say if you compete in the rat weight race, even if you win, you're still a rat. And so materialism does that too. Materialism is, the, is that hole, that pit that is never filled. We can throw more stuff and more possessions into it, but it is a bottomless pit. And so if we are looking in our lives for contentment and for happiness based on the things that we have and the things that, are, that we want, we have entered this uh, unwinnable materialism race because there'll always be a newer car, there'll always be a new fashion, there'll always be more money, there'll always be something bigger, better, faster that we want if that's the life that we are living. The race is unwinnable. We can't win the rat race of materialism. We simply can't win this materialism contest because there's always more. Marketing is always feeding the desire for more. Commercials and ads are always feeding the desire for more. And inside of us, there's a restlessness and there's a battle with the flesh to always want more. The problem is, if we define ourselves by our stuff, we will feel good when we have a lot and we will feel bad when we don't. We will feel great when we're on top of the world and we have all the stuff but what happens if we have to downsize? What happens if our stuff isn't with us and then all of a sudden we feel bad? And so this creates anxiety and it creates worship, uh, worry and it creates an idea of this roller coaster ride of emotion. It's a predictable cycle. We've all been there. If I get a car, I'll be happy. We get the car, but the car wears out. And then I have to look for joy elsewhere. I have to get a new car or I have to pursue joy in another area. Or we think, if I get married, I'll be happy. But you get married, and then your spouse can't deliver, and so you're disillusioned, and you're frustrated, and so then you have to look for joy somewhere else. If, I, if we can only have a baby, then we will be happy. And we get the baby, and we realize the baby needs fed, and wakes up at all hours of the night, and they're really uncontrollable. And so we start to look for our joy in somewhere else. If I get a new job, then I'll be happy. We get the new job and we realize people are people wherever you go. Every place has problems. And then we start to look for joy somewhere else. If I can only retire, then I'll be happy. And we retire and we find out that life isn't what we thought it was going to be. And so it's this cycle, never-ending cycle of looking for joy. If I can get out of the house, my parents are driving me crazy. If I can only get out and be on my own, then I will be happy. And so we get out and we're on our own and we're looking for joy and we realize I have to cook for myself. I have to do my own laundry. I have to clean my own room. I have to 
pay my own bills and we find out that it doesn't deliver. You see, what happens in each one of these situations is we're looking for that elusive joy. We're looking for that elusive contentment. We're looking for that elusive if only. And we find out that when we get it, it doesn't deliver because it was never made to deliver. Joy comes and then it fades away. Those things are only contingent contentment. If I'm looking and I'm trying to have my contentment in the stuff of life, it's only contingent because as long as I have the stuff or as long as I'm getting the stuff, I then think I will have joy and it's only, it's contingent and it turns us into anxious people. What if I have, what if I lose my stuff? If my contentment is based on the things in my life and the material things in my life, it fails to deliver because all those things can be taken away. Paul had a better strategy, and that's what he reminds us in Philippians chapter 4. He learned to be content with what he had in any situation that he was in. He didn't say every situation was good. He just matter-of-factly said, I've had moments when I've been in need and when I've had plenty. I've had moments when I, I, I was in want and, and, and all those situations of life. He's just describing them. He's not saying one's better or worse. He's just saying, this is how it is. But I've learned the secret to being content. It was remarkable since he has so little. He had a jail cell instead of a house. He had chains on his wrists instead of a Rolex. So how could he be content? Well, Paul focused on something different. He had eternal life. He had the love of God. He had the forgiveness of sins. He had Jesus, and Jesus was enough. What he had found in Christ was greater than anything he had found in life. It's interesting, in the letter to Philippians, in 104 verses, he mentions Jesus 40 times. That's an average of about every two and a half verses, he mentions Jesus. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, he says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What, are, what is the all things that Paul lost? He certainly lost his past. He was a murderer. He was persecuting the, the church of Jesus and he knew he was the chief among sinners, and he knew that that was covered by the blood, and he had lost that in the past. Paul understood his past sins and transgressions were, were lost. But Paul here is not only talking about the bad things, he's also talking about the good things. All things, he says, I consider them garbage, good and bad. Doesn't matter what my successes were, it doesn't matter what my failures were, I consider them all garbage. Why? That I may gain Christ. Christ is the highest priority. Jesus, for Paul, was greater than anything that he could have gained in life. Because here's what happens. Christ-based contentment turns us into strong people. Paul's only aim was to know Jesus. And as a result, he was content. If our life is built on our stuff, Remember, it's that cycle of contingent contentment. It comes and it goes. But nobody can take away our Jesus, and so nobody can take away our joy. Nobody can take away our Jesus, and so nobody can take away our contentment, 
And because of that, we are strong people. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to worry because Jesus won't be taken away. The stuff of this life will be gone. The material things that we place our hope in will be gone, but Jesus won't be gone. And it's a steady and sure place to stand. You say, well, what about death? No, Jesus is greater than death. In fact, he rose from the dead to prove that he was greater than death. What about failure? No, Jesus is greater than our sin. What about betrayal? No, Jesus will never leave us. What about sickness? No, God has promised, whether on this side of the grave or on the other side of the grave, we will be made whole again and freed from all of our sickness. What about this disappointment? No, God will work it out. He is the sovereign God that is moving to fulfill his plans and his purposes. And what we have in Jesus is greater than anything that we don't have in life. We have a God who loves us. We have the living presence of Christ in us. We have a joy that can never be taken away and a hope that can never be shaken. I'm sure over the last few weeks, over the last few months, we have just felt shaken at times and, and um, we don't know that we have a firm place to stand at times. And if we're honest, isn't it true? It's because we are trying to place our hope and trying to place that firm place to stand in the things of this world. We just want to hear that the pandemic is over. We want to hear that they found a miracle cure and we're, we're placing our hope in that and when it doesn't happen or we don't hear what we want to hear, we hear the, the, the death toll rising. We become discouraged because we are placing our hope in, if only this would stop, would stop and if only it would slow down, then I could feel joy and I could feel some contentment. And Jesus is saying, all those things of life are fleeting. That, that's just contingent contentment. But you build your life on me and I will never let you down. I will never disappoint it. I will never leave you. Where are you building your contentment? Where are you building your hope? Remember, Paul looks around and he says, I have a secret. Do you know why it's a secret? A secret isn't something that isn't known, but a secret is something that not everybody knows. Maybe growing up in elementary school, you had a best friend and you would share secrets. Nobody else would know, but the two of you would know you see, a secret isn't that it's not known to anyone. It's a secret because it's not known to everyone. Once everyone knows, it's not a secret. So why did Paul say, I want to tell you a secret? It's because not everybody knows this. But as followers of Jesus, as students of his word, as we are in God's word, we know it. So it's no longer a secret to us. Sometimes it's a secret because we just simply forget, and so we need reminded again, and then it's no longer a secret. You see, not everyone knows this, but as believers in Jesus, now we know. We are in on the secret. And what is the secret? Philippians 4.13, remember Paul said this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is often one of the most misused and misquoted verses in the Bible. Paul, in the context of Philippians 4, remember he said, I know what it's like to have plenty, and I know what it's like to have want. I know what it's like to have needs, and I know what it's like to be well-fed. 
And then he says, I know the secret, and here's the secret. I can do all this. All of what? I can find contentment. He is specifically talking about contentment. He is not saying that I can do everything I want through Jesus. There's a lot of things I want to do, and it doesn't mean just because I have Jesus I can do them. I would love to fly. It would take a lot less time to get where you wanted to go. But Paul, in Philippians 4.13, I can't apply that verse to my life and say, well, I can do this through Jesus who gives me strength. He's not giving a blanket statement for everything in life. Paul's not saying, well, if you just believe Philippians 4.13, you'll be able to pass your chemistry test even though you didn't go to class, you didn't open the book, and you didn't study. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and I can pass this test. No, you can't. You can't make someone love you. I can do this through Christ who gives me strength. You can't make your lunch appear out of thin air. Paul is not saying that just because we have Jesus, we can do anything we want in life, that we can do everything in life, but what he is saying specifically is that we can have contentment in life. That's the secret. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Is this hard to be content? Absolutely. We live in a world that feeds on discontentment. We live in a world that that feeds on complaining. We live in a world that is never happy with anything. And that's why we need a supernatural strength. And so Paul reminds us in Philippians 4.13 that you can do this. You can be content. How? Through the strength that Jesus gives. It's Jesus who will help us adjust our attitude. It's Jesus who gives us the strength in the middle of pandemics and pressures and problems of life to be able to find contentment and to go from if only to already. If you're having trouble counting your blessings, you need to start this very prayer and say, Jesus, I need your strength and your help to help me count my blessings. I don't really want to. Sometimes we can even have a bad attitude about counting our blessings. There you go again, telling us to count our blessings. Don't you know how bad things are? And it's that kind of attitude that Jesus can give us the strength to overcome. Are you feeling joyless? No happiness, no contentment? Don't just reach down and try to find the strength in yourself to do it. But Paul says, here's the secret I found of contentment. Instead of looking to material things without, and instead of trying to look within, I can look to him who gives me the strength to do this. You may actually want to begin just writing them down. Here's a strange thing about us as humans. We are very forgetful. We do not have the memory that God has. We are fallible and we are forgetful. In fact, through the Old Testament, as God's people forgot over and over, he would send prophets over and over to remind them once again of whose they were and who God was and what God required because over and over they forgot. And we are no better than those Old Testament saints. We are still very forgetful people. And so it takes a conscious decision. Remember, gratitude is an act of the mind to look at what we have and to thank God for. And so that's why in the middle of this prayer verse where Paul says in everything by prayer and petition and by asking God with thanksgiving, I sprinkle that thanksgiving throughout my prayer, my conversation with God. 
You may need to actually write it down. Just get out a piece of paper and a, and a pen and just start listing the things you already have that you are thankful for. A lot of folks keep gratitude journals. Just get a notebook. At the end of every day, you just write down the things that you are thankful for. You know, one day we can thank God for the rain because we know it helps things grow. And the next day we can thank him for the sunshine because it's not raining. And then after a few days of no rain, we could thank him for the rain again. See how that works? It's a, it's a blessing of the already, of what we have now. In the New Testament, there's a story about Jesus and he healed these 10 lepers. They came to him and they wanted to be healed. And he healed them and it says, as they, as they, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, they were healed, but only one came back. Now, statistically, if you look at this, it's only 10% of those who get the blessings are thankful. That's why it's a secret. The nine other guys didn't know the secret, but the one guy did. He knew the secret of contentment. The secret was the strength in Jesus to be thankful and to be grateful. We should far more during the day say thank you than please. May I have this please? I want this please. What if our thank yous outnumbered our asks? 10 to 1 like the lepers. Would your attitude change? Absolutely. What if our alreadys, as we look at our blessings and we count our blessings, no matter what the circumstances, what if our alreadys outnumbered our what ifs? 10 to 1 like the lepers. I have 10 alreadys to every one what if or if only. Would your attitude change? Absolutely. So you may just want to physically start writing these down every day. During this time of pandemic, I know it's hard to find things to be grateful for. And why is it hard? Because we're not looking with eyes of gratitude. And once you start, the alreadys will start to flow. Right now, if you take your finger and put them on the side of your neck and feel your pulse, that's an already. Lord, thank you for this day that I am already up and I'm already alive. I'm already listening. I'm already looking out at your creation. I have breath in these lungs and my heart is still beating. It's another day to know you and to serve you and to love you. What happens with gratitude is it replaces your if-onlys with already. See, really, gratitude is the antidote to anxious thoughts. Paul gives us a lot of practical things in Philippians chapter 4, and one of the practical things he gave us we looked at last week was prayer. Prayer, petition, present your requests. In addition to prayer, we also need gratitude of thanks to God and for the, for the alreadys in life. We can leave our concerns with him. And Paul says, I don't, I don't just want you to leave your concerns with Jesus, but I, I want you to do it with thanksgiving, with gratitude, with, with an attitude that, Lord, you have already blessed me. You've already given me so much. And what happens is, if we have this attitude of gratitude, we will begin to see our circumstances, all of our circumstances, with a new attitude. We will view our situations differently when we realize we have been blessed and we are abundantly blessed. Remember the optimist and the pessimist? Optimist glass half full, pessimist as half empty. But as grateful people, we look at the glass as overflowing. 
We have been blessed abundantly, more than we could ask or imagine or even deserve. Why? Because the secret is Jesus. Are you grateful? Have you learned the secret? You know the secret. We've just filled you in on the secret from Philippians chapter 4. Paul's informed us all of the secret. I can do, I can do this through the strength that Jesus gives. Now he just wants us to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus who gives us the strength to be grateful even in anxious moments. Father, would you help us to be people of gratitude, grateful people for the alreadies of life. Father, forgive us when we have not acknowledged your working in our life for the blessings that we have and the ways that you have provided for us. Father, forgive us for looking to the if-onlys of life to satisfy our needs. Would you help us to be grateful? Help us to understand what we have already in you. Father, our circumstances can be hard and trying and difficult at times. But the antidote to being anxious about those circumstances is a change of our attitude by the act of gratitude. So we leave our concerns with you with thanksgiving. Thank you for all you have done for us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.